going through Break This Time, and we have it again this coming Tuesday. We're on Psalm 136. We're going to be at the Corner Bagel Shop at 6.30 on Tuesday morning. And by the way, uh, we're considering going back to 6. We have a couple of guys who said that if we could do it at 6, we could be there. And uh, it's interesting because we we made it 6.30 so some guys could come, and the guys that said we'll come at 6.30 but 6 is too early aren't there. So we're just going back to 6 o'clock, you know? I don't know. But anyway, we study Psalm, a Psalm every week, and we discuss it. It's really encouraging, and so we would love, uh, love you guys to come to that if you can. Uh, Monday Night Fellowship still happening. You can pray for that. A little bit of an update on that. We have, uh, it runs in so many seasons. We come on a Monday night, and right before we start serving food, I'll go out, and the folks that are here to, to get food, to pick it up to go, are on the porch out there, all up and down the porch, and some days you go out there and it's just packed from one end of the thing to the other on the, on the benches. And then other days there's two or three people right when you start. And it's really uh, can be kind of discouraging. In the last couple of weeks, it's been three people exactly uh, before we started. And two weeks ago, by the time we finished, uh, people had come and we didn't have any food left. So that day was really amazing. This past week there was three and we, had end up, we ended up with like 12 of the uh, people outside of our church that came, and so we had a fair amount of food left. So it just, it changes all the time. But uh, just pray for that ministry. It's really encouraging. I will say that the last two months have been the most encouraging recently since COVID started with just the conversations and gospel opportunities that we've actually had with the folks out on the porch and, and the few times that we've been able to stay here and be all together, either outside or inside. We don't have a date um, that's going to work for us to be all together in January. My guess is the first week of February will be the first time we'll stay together and eat um, all together. Uh, the next thing is, let's see if it's changed. It's not changed. So we've changed this once. We only had a handful of people come right before Christmas to the, to the Living Hope Reads discussion on this particular book, The Gospel for Real Life. And it was just such a good four chapters that we're like, we need to give more time to have discussion with more people because this is phenomenal and it was just so good. And I want to encourage you guys to read this. And even if you don't come to the discussions, to read this all together. Um, the Gospel for Real Life by Jerry Bridges has just been encouraging to us. And, um, and yet we changed that day to January 10th. Some of you who keep up with football know that January 10th is the national championship. <laughs> and a number of the people who came to our first discussion are going to be watching the national championship. <laughs> And so we're going to change that, 20, that 10th date to the 24th. And we're going to move this up to here, the 24th. We're going to move the February 7th to the, to the chapters 9 through 12. And we're going to add um, February 28th to the end. And that'll come out in your announcements. Um, but that, and that'll give you more time to get the book and read it, all those good things. So just know that that's going to shift around a bit. Um, but I would really encourage you guys to read it. But also would encourage you guys to be at the discussion so we can discuss it together. Somebody, can you, can Keith, go out the door and yell to Tom Chance that we're here, not down there. He just, yeah, okay. Okay, our call to worship today is from Psalm 89 and then two verses from Psalm 95. Let me read those. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours, or yours also. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. 
How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. For you, for you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for calling Your people to come, to worship, to bow down, to kneel before the Lord, our God, and our Maker. Father, You are God, and we're the people of Your pasture, the sheep of Your hand. And Father, today I pray that as we come, we will behold glorious things from Your Word, that we would respond to the good gifts of your word and the sacraments by rejoicing in you, by giving you our attention and our worship, and Father, by singing songs of praise and adoration before you, by confessing the truth of what we believe and, and what we believe of who you are in our confessions. And Father, I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight because of Christ, our Redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.
as we come to him, we see our need of him, and we see that we don't measure up to him, and so we confess our sins. And today, our corporate confession of sin and our assurance of the pardon that he gives when we confess our sins um, come from the same verses. Romans 8, 29, and 30, they're two of the three verses that we'll be talking about in the sermon. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be firstborn, be the firstborn among many brethren. And, th- and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Our, our confession really is that God's purpose for us is that we look like Jesus and that we strive to look like Jesus. Our confession is that we don't strive often to look like him. So just take a few moments and think about, wow, how do I fail at striving to look more and more like Jesus? going to read the same passage again, and what I want you to hear is I want you to listen for the forgiveness and hope that we have, that if we confess that, that sin, what does he do with it? Well, let me read, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Where's the hope? The hope of if he calls us to his purposes, then what is he going to do? He's going to fulfill those purposes in us. If he calls us, then he's going to justify us. If he justifies us, he's going to sanctify or make us more like Christ. And ultimately, he's going to complete that work uh, in our glorification. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the call to come. And Father, the call to be called according to your purposes to look more and more like the family we've been called into, to look and bear the image of Jesus. We confess that we're not all about that often, and yet it's what you call us and save us for, to bear your image, to look like Christ, to commune with him. And Father, we thank you that as we confess that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and that you will indeed carry out the things that you call us to. If you've called us, you will justify us and make us right with you. If you make us right with you, Father, you will also finish that work to make us like you and our glorification. Father, for those things, we give you great thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. continue in Isaiah in our weekly scripture reading. We, we come to the first few verses in chapter 8 this week. In uh, chapter 7, we're introduced to Ahaz, the king of Judah, who has a problem. And Ahaz's problem is this. The king of Syria named Rezin joined into an alliance with Pekah, the son of Ramalia, who was the king of the northern tribes, or Israel. And this alliance is to attack Judah. And so in chapter 7, we see Ahaz in fear 
And God sends Isaiah to him, telling him not to fear, but instead to trust in God. But Ahaz does not trust in God. Instead, Ahaz will turn into an alliance with another nation, Assyria, for protection against Israel and Syria. In this morning's passage in chapter 8, we see God will prophesy ruin against his people who are called those who, uh, in the past, they're called those who refuse the waters of Shiloh, or Shiloh, or in other words, those who refuse to trust in God, and that's both Israel and Judah who refuse to trust in God. Israel and Judah refused God by their trust in foreign alliances, and so God is going to send them another sign. Isaiah will have a son in this morning's passage, and his name is going to be Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, which means the spoil speed or the prey hastens. Or in other words, it won't be long before Assyria, the same nation that Judah is going to enter an alliance with, will come and will conquer both Israel and Syria. But even though Judah makes an alliance with Assyria, that alliance will result in their doom and their impoverishment. This morning's passage concludes with words to the remnant who trusts in God not to fear what's about to happen. Don't fear the conquering of Israel. Don't fear the, the hard times of Judah. But fear God, who's still in control. Although Israel and Judah are going to be ruined by Assyria, it won't be forever. And it does not alter God's ultimate plans for his people. Instead, the people of God should fear God, God who is their sanctuary and hope in this life and in the life to come. All right, with that, Isaiah 8. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write in it in common characters, belonging to Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, who to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, My father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, and they rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered, Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling for both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, steal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Let's pray. Father, indeed, you do dwell on Mount Zion. You dwell on your throne, and you are not shaken by events. In your name we rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness we are exalted. 
for you are the glory of our strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to you and our King, the Holy One of Israel. May your kingdom come and may your King be exalted. We pray that in this church and in the churches throughout the world, the name of Christ would be known and proclaimed and his life and his crucifixion and his resurrection would be sent out that many would hear and know and be saved and would trust in you. We pray for you to bless the work of your missionaries whom you sent into the harvest fields. We pray particularly for those missionaries that we support, Aaron and Katrina Fortune and the Bray Ministries, Michelle Cox in Taiwan, the Hansons, who minister in a dangerous land, China, Brett Barbie in Macon, Georgia, Jim Brown in Cameroon, and even here locally, John Boyd, as, he, as he's a minister and a missionary to Anderson University through RUF. We pray for your blessing on their ministry, and we pray that your word would go forth through these missionaries of yours. We pray for our own church, and we pray for its witness that we would be faithful and that we would be unified in love and good deeds and in the image of Christ, and that you would use us to renew each other more and more into his image. We pray for our daily bread, and that we ask that you would give all our needs, knowing that you will supply generously. We pray for Casey Boyd and Amy, who suffer from chronic pain. We pray that, that you would give relief, if it be your will. And Father, we pray the promise that you will use their suffering for good. We pray for John's foot and we pray for healing for that. We pray uh, for, for Christian and Steve and, and healing for them from their, from their accident. We pray for the men of new mercies. And we thank you for all that you've drawn to this ministry. We pray for their sobriety and we pray for their needs. We pray that you would provide them work, that you would um, restore relationships and most of all, that they would trust in Christ and that they would find their joy in him. We pray this morning for your spirit, for us, that your word would go forth and would, would renew our hearts and that we would not be like the idols who have eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear, but that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. We pray for John that um, you would bring to mind all the things he studied this week and that he would be a faithful ambassador of Jesus Christ, not adding to or taking from your word, but faithfully delivering that which we need to hear this morning uh, from our Lord Jesus Christ. For worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And finally, we pray corporately as your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come now to our confession of faith in which we remind ourselves of the very basics, the, the, the things that are necessary for a Christian to believe. So brothers and sisters, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You guys can stand. Your buried body 
This morning, um, John's going to continue his series on the providence of God from Romans chapter 8. So our scripture reading is Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In these whom he predestined, he also called. In these whom he called, he also justified. In these whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. off crutches, but not good enough to stand for this long. So thank you guys for your prayers and your encouragement and the Lord, and I'm thankful for you guys being here. So we've been uh, doing a series on the providence of God, and uh, we started with Romans 8, 28, and it was so good that this is the fourth sermon that we're doing on Romans 8, 28, and 29 and 30. We added a couple of verses today, but we're not going to continue on. We had planned about seven other sermons on the providence of God um, to kind of get us between 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and over the holidays, and we're going to kind of put 
a sermon series on hold, and we'll, it'll be just a mini-series on Romans 8, 28 and 29, 30. And then we're going back to 2 Samuel in a couple of weeks. So we'll be going there. Uh, Henry will be preaching next week again on Philippians. So he's kind of carrying us through the book of Philippians. Um, and we're glad that, to have him doing that. Um, so today we're going to uh, ponder a little bit more of this precious and magnificent promise that God causes all things to work together for good. And we're going to consider this promise in a couple of things. We're going to consider the scope of his promise, first of all. What does it include? Secondly, we're going to look at the qualifications of his promise. We've started that last week. One of the qualifications that that promise can be ours is that we love God. We'll continue seeing another qualification. And then the last thing is we're going to look at the purpose of the promise. In other words, uh, what does he do for our good? And that's uh, he calls us, he makes us come, he consecrates us or sets us apart that we can look like Jesus, are conforming to be like him, and then our completion, he'll bring us home to glory. So those are the things we'll look at as we look at his, more at this precious and magnificent promise. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we're able to look again at this amazing promise, the text that says that you work all things together for our good, who are called, who love God and who are the called according to your purpose. Father, our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. And from heaven, we long for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come one day and transform this body that we have in our humble state into conformity, full conformity, with the body of his glory. And for that, we pray. And Father, that very truth is in this text, that you want us to look like your son, be like your son, be in your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, we're going to dive right in. I'm going to save some of the illustrations instead of like you're supposed to when you preach, open up with one. I'm not doing that. So uh, we're going to dive right in. What's the scope of the promise? It says in, in verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. So let me ask you guys, what is the scope of his promise? What does it include? All things. It includes everything. We can, we can look at, we're Steve-O. We can look at Steve-O and he's got a fractured arm and a messed up hip, and Christian has a worse messed up hip from an accident this week. And if you don't know those things, make sure you look and regroup me, because we're trying to put some of that information out there. I look at my feet, and I'm not going to be able to walk the same as I did five years ago, or run again. But he does all things for good. The scope is all things. There's nothing that is outside the scope of that precious and magnificent promise. And what if that promise were really true? What if it was true that he does work all things for our good? Can you imagine what it would change if it were true? It would change everything. Um, how uh, that truth would speak into your deepest pains and your deepest hurts and, and your greatest struggles and fears, uh, your greatest dreads. Um, it would see you through the, the hardest and, and the loftiest of decisions that you have to make. How, how, how would it affect your dreads and fear of the future, the troubles that might come, you know, that you read about in the paper that are on the way or whatever, or what about the troubles and decisions and sufferings that tomorrow might bring? What, if this were true, what would it do to that? Then you could say, I can face all my tomorrows, why? Because God's going to take all my tomorrows and he's going to use them and craft them for my what? For my good. It'll change all that. Uh, how would, how would it affect, if it were true, your anger and disappointments of not having certain things? Or maybe how would it affect your anger of actually having certain things, like troubles and problems and messed up hips? If it were true that God causes all those things to work together for good, it would change those things. There's simply nothing 
that's outside of the scope of that precious and magnificent promise, and there's simply nothing that, if it were true, it wouldn't change. And we can meditate on this verse every single day, every single circumstance, because it is true. And, and lastly, how, it, how could it affect your confidence to go into troubled situations, into dark situations, and, and go there to be a light of the gospel? You know, it's scary to go into those places with those people. And yet, if God's going to work even those things out for your good, it changes you being able to go in with confidence. Um, we started the series this, on the, the providence of God, or Romans 8.28, by talking about the certainty of the promise, that it is true. And it says, God, and you know that God can do all those things or does those things. God wants his children to know and have complete confidence that it's true. It is true. God does work all things, every single thing for our good, and he wants our lives to be rooted in that truth. Uh, day after day, that, it's, uh, that it be undisputable, not deniable, and it can never become untrue. Uh, Next, we look at God's character and how God's character and nature, his holiness, his wisdom, his goodness, his love. Um, and then second week, we looked at God's character and nature of his relationship with us, that he's like what? A father and a husband and a friend uh, and a physician. We looked at those things and how those things, the God's character uh, and his character and his relationship with us form the very foundation out of which God works all things together for good flows and out of which it can be assured. So when we need the assurance that it's true, what do we run back to? His character. And look at his character and his nature. And what do we run back to? We look at his character and his nature of his relationship with us to, to have the confidence that those things are true. And yet, um, last week, we actually looked at this precious and magnificent promise, but we said it's not for everyone. It's not just for anybody. It has qualifications. And the first qualification was what? And God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. And so we looked at several things um, last week at, at what it covers. Um, and uh, it, it covers those who love God. So there are qualifications um, to this. But the qualifications, there is no qualification and there is no limit to the scope of the promise. Does that make sense? The scope is boundless. All things. God causes every single thing, the worst things and what? The best things, the hardest things and the easiest things. He causes all things to work together for good. That's not the qualification. The qualification is not the scope of God's promise. It includes everything. It's boundless, and we should give thanks for that. So you ask, well, Pastor John, what are the qualifications? And what What's the qualification? The qualifications are given in the passage, and it has to do with who is this promise for. It's not for everybody. It's for those who love him. We just said that. And um, we'll look at the next one today. But when we looked at the ones who love him, everybody says they love him, just about, especially in the Bible Belt. We all love him. And we looked at, well, it's not just all who say they love him. It's all who really love him. And so last week, we spent the time to talk about what's the nature of the love that God requires us to love him by. What's the nature of that God calls, uh, calls us to love him by. And we looked at that. Uh, what kind of love does God require? Secondly, we looked at some questions to test our love. Do we really love him like that or do we not? They were pretty convicting questions. And lastly, the third thing we looked at last week were motivations to move us along to love him like that. What are some biblical motivations? If you didn't get that, um, then go back and listen to it. I, I had one person text me like, I was coming to listen to the sermon today, but I didn't hear it last week, so I'm going to go hear last week's. So that's Olivia, so she's listening to last week's. So that's good. So the first qualification, the guy causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. 
And the second one is in the text, it says, for those who are the called according to God's purpose. Now, although the love of God or loving God is the first qualification, we can never have that first. The only way we can love God rightly is if he does call us and if he wins us to himself, and then we can love. Why? Because we love him because he first loved us. So even though loving God is the first qualification, it's not the first qualification we obtain. We have to be called by him first before we can ever love him. The love of God is actually evidence that we've been called by him. So we have that. Um, now, the, the next thing is, we're already at point three, but this is long, so it's going to take a while. Uh, there's a threefold purpose of God. Um, he, let's consider, what does he call us for? What's the purpose of God? There's like threefold purpose that we have in these three verses, verses 28, 29, and 30. And let's look at the first one, the first purpose that is for our good, that he calls us for, that, that, that he uh, purposes us for and calls us to, is, is our calling and our consecration really our calling and our coming and our consecration. Let me, let me tell you what that means. So in order to understand the second qualification, that God works all things together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose, we need to understand what the Bible means when it says called, if we're the called ones. And uh, the calling of God in the scriptures are really twofold. And, and the first is this, it's a general call. It's an outward call of the Lord. It's a call that goes out to every man every sinner, every person, and it's a call for sinners to turn from sin and turn to the Savior. And it goes out to all people. Um, it's a very gracious call. What, what do I mean it's gracious? I mean that God doesn't have to call sinners to himself. He could just judge them, right? But he calls sinners to turn from their sin and their wicked ways to the Savior. Um, that's the first of the, of the calls that we have. But for everyone who actually listens to the call and actually comes to Christ and actually is included uh, as a Christian and put into his family, they're always called in another way also. Uh, they have a second calling. And this second call is called, um, instead of general, it's called a special call uh, or an inward call of God. And often it's called the effectual call. That's a big word, but we'll talk about what it, why is it called the effectual call uh, in just a moment. In this call, the Father calls his elect ones, his chosen ones, and, um, and he calls them to come and trust Christ for their salvation. But he doesn't just call them. He actually goes and wins them and moves them and enables them and draws them to come by the work of a spirit. Uh, the inward and special call of God is always effectual. What does that mean? It always brings his chosen ones to Christ. Always. And that's why it's called effectual. It, it has an effect. And we can say this, that the ones he generally calls, they don't all come, but the ones he specially calls by the work of a spirit and draws uh, his chosen ones, um, they are called, and that call is always accompanied by salvation. Always. They take on a new name, and with that new name, Christian, they take on a new identity. They're no longer known by their sin. They're known by their Savior. And what that means is this. It doesn't mean that you no longer sin. It doesn't mean that you no longer struggle with sin. But what it does mean is you're not ultimately characterized by your sin any longer. You're ultimately characterized by being what? In union with Christ. Christian is our new identity, not sinner. But we're sinner and saint at the same time. But our ultimate identification is being in Christ. Um, because of their change in relationship to Jesus, no longer enemies, but now friends, their, their relationship to sin changes. 
And it's precisely because these people, his people, have been called and transformed by grace and given a new identity that now God can and does work all things for good, for their good. Um, Now, many people ignore the general call, the call for sinners to come to Christ, uh, to turn from their sin and come to the Savior. But nobody can ignore the special and the effectual call of God. Otherwise, it wouldn't be special and effectual. They would still be in their sin. Now, I'm going to try and attempt a little illustration. So kids, I want you to listen especially carefully. We're all kids, just some are grown-up kids, some are not. So kids, listen carefully. Um, I was over at a house, and it was the Bechtel's house. They're not here today. They're not able to, to be online because we don't have the Zoom, so they're not hearing this firsthand. But I was there earlier than uh, we were having a living, uh, a living Hope Kids thing. I got there a little early, and well, actually, they did it during the, the time we had that, too. They rang the bell to bring all the kids from the creek and all, all over their land to home. And so they, they rang this bell, and that ringing of the bell was kind of like the general call of God for sinners to come. So uh, uh, Rachel rang that bell, and kids, could you, if you were out there playing at the Beckles house, and you were down in the, in the creek, and you were out in the, uh, in, in the woods, and you were what, over here playing baseball or at their barn, and they rang the bell, could you ignore it? Could you ignore it and not come? Yeah, you could ignore it, right? You could just stay there and keep playing, and would it be best if you ignored it? No, it could have consequences, right? What are the consequences that it could have? Maybe, maybe, shame, maybe Rachel rang the bell for them to come for food, and they didn't come, and then they come like later, and they didn't obey, and like, no food for you, right? Or no snacks for you. There's consequences to not coming. Um, and the consequence is you're disobeying your parents. They might take a privilege away, and it's just not good in building a relationship with your parents. But you could ignore it. You could ignore that general call. Uh, the ringing of the bell was like the general call, and the call of God for sinners to repent and turn from their sin and come to Jesus. Can, can people ignore that? They do. They can. And they often do ignore that. Should they ignore it? No. And if they ignore it, does it come with consequences? With grave consequences, for sure. So many people don't have the heart uh, that God has changed yet to actually hear uh, God's call and respond to it, but the effectual call is different. The effectual call of God would be like um, your mom or dad ringing the bell, and then your mom and dad stepping out of the house and going down into the creek and finding you and cleaning you up a little bit and putting you on their shoulders and carrying you back to the house and then taking you to the bathroom or the little laundry room and washing you up and cleaning you up and taking you to the table and putting you and sitting you at the table. And, 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 and right in front of you is your favorite food that your mom ever makes is right there for you. And they sit down and they, they have a fellowship meal with you. That's like the effectual call. Now, if your parents did that, could you ignore that? No, because they actually come and get you, right? You can't really ignore that. Is it effective? Yes, they bring you to the table. You get to, to have the benefit of that. And that's kind of like the special Uh, call on the effectual call of God. That's the way God calls all of his children. If any of God's children that come, uh, come, it's because that he rang the bell and he pursued them and he went into the pit of their creek or whatever and he gets them and he, if we could say, puts them on his shoulders. He brings them home and he cleans them up and he purifies them, making them fit for the father's table and he sits them at the table and he makes a, a feast for them, primarily the feast of himself. We get to feed on Christ. And then he sits down and, and, and fellowships with us in that meal. So everything flows 
from God's calling. And um, God's call comes and, and to all people, and, and yet God's effectual call comes to the people that this verse talks about, that he does all things and works all things together for good for. So it's uh, to, for those whom God specially calls and places into his family, that this promise that God works all things together for good, uh, it's their promise to claim, and only their promise to claim. Let's talk a little bit more about the special calling um, before God calls us effectually in the special calling, Ephesians 5.8 says that we were in darkness. Let me read Ephesians 5.8. It says that, there we go. Uh, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk in darkness? No. Now that you're in the Lord and in light, walk as children of the light. Uh, also, before God calls us way, he says that we were without strength. We were helpless, um, Romans 5.6. You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless or helpless or without strength, depending on your version, when you were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, And then the third thing is before God calls us effectually and saves us, we were in a state of misery and death. This one is pretty um, graphic. Let me read from Ezekiel 16.6. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. And this is graphic, but this is people that have not been called and, and won and brought into his family, they're squirming in their blood. They, they don't, they, that's the condition that they're in. They're in misery, and they're helpless there. They can't come to him without him coming and saving and redeeming them. Lastly, the scriptures say that those who, uh, before they get the effectual call of God, they're under a curse. And we could say they're under God's wrath. Um, John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And it's out of the state of darkness and wrath and misery and helplessness and without strength that God calls us. And And he ravishes us in his love. And that word ravish means that he picks us up, and he carries us back with the greatest of affection. Well, how do I know that? Because I looked it up in the dictionary. To ravish means that God's ravished love means that he comes and he picks us up, and he carries us back with greatest affection. How does he do it? First of all, through his word. He does it through his word. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, there's this little phrase that says that the word that he speaks is the word from heaven. I like that. You want to know the word from heaven for you? Where do you find it? In the Bible. You want to know the word from heaven? Go to the word. Um, and that's the instrument of, of his calling, and his spirit makes that instrument effective. That means the spirit takes the word, and he actually uses it to change your heart. Um, I have verses for that, but we don't have time to go there. So the special call of God, that calling this effectual, come and turn and come to me, uh, it's a high calling, and it's a holy calling. Let me go to a couple of verses. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this about that call. He says, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. I want you to like just to put in your little notes, my hand, I hope, if not in your head, uh, that he calls us by his, and to his own purpose. And so when he says that he works all things together for our good, according to his purpose, it's his purpose to which he works all things together for our good for. Um, and then... Um, the second verse is 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has call, not called us for the purpose of impurity, 
but for the purpose of sanctification. And so he calls us, what does sanctification mean? That's a big word. It simply means he calls us out of darkness into the light of Jesus. And then he says, now walk according to the light of Christ, right? He calls us and, and he sets us apart to live differently, to live a new life, a life of, that's in Christ. Um, now, this working of all things for our good doesn't mean that everything here on earth turns out for the best. Now, ultimately, it turns out for the best. But things here don't always turn out for the best here, right? I mean, if they always turned out for the best here, I could still play basketball, and I could still do this because my surgeries would have been effective so that I could still do things, more things. But So when he says that he works all things for good, it doesn't mean that everything here turns out for the way we want them to turn, turn out for. Um, his purposes and working of all things for our ultimate good is so much better than some temporary good. And we don't always think that at the moment, but it's always true. Um, so loving God is, is the evidence that we've been called out of darkness into light, and that once he calls us out of darkness and brings us into the family, his family, he doesn't leave us there to determine what is good. So it's not like, okay, and God causes all things to work together for good, now you decide what's good for you. God doesn't do that. And you, we might think that would be really a great thing, to be able to decide what's good for us, but that would be awful, because you know what? We don't know what's good for us, right? You guys have friends that you're like, that's not good for them, right? You think of them and like, they're thinking, this is the best for me. And even you guys look at that and like, that's not the best for them. Well, can you imagine somebody that's much wiser and holier and has much more experience? How much experience combined in this room do we have? I'm, I'm old, 56. 56, how old are you? No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go around and do that. But, but we can take, if we take all, our life is but a vapor. We don't have a whole lot of experience, even not compared to the Lord. We don't know what's best for us. It would be evil for the Lord to say, I'm going to do what's best for you. You decide what that is. No, he doesn't do that. In his wisdom, uh, he, he knows what's best for us. Have you ever heard of Father Knows Best, the saying, Father Knows Best, right? How, probably you fathers say that all the time. I'm just kidding. But that was also the name of a show in the 50s, Father Knows Best. Well, for people, that's not always true. Fathers don't always know best. But the Father, what? Always knows best. And that's a beautiful truth for for you and for me. But we're still left with this question after he calls us and after he brings us in from the creek and brings us into his family and sits us at the table and sets us apart for his purposes, we're still left with the question, what's his purpose, right? Part of his purpose is to call us and to bring us to the table. That's part of it. That's one of the threefold purposes that we see in the text. What's the next purpose? You know, what is the good that God works out? What's the ultimate purpose and destiny for the people of God? And thankfully, Paul uh, when he's writing this in Romans, uh, goes immediately to what is that purpose? Let me read it, verses 28 and 29. I'll start at the first. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's the qualification one. To those who are the called according to his purpose, qualification two. And his purpose is this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of a son. Um, and, and so the purpose of God after winning us into his family is to make us look like the family, to make us look like his son. Um, this section of scripture, Romans 8, 28 through 30, is often called, does anybody know, any, any students of theology, what's it often called? The golden chain, right? The golden chain. And what the golden chain is, is just simply like, this is the way God's work. God works, he does this, and then he does this, and then he does this. It's like a chain. 
Uh, and, and so we see the word calling, if, if it's a qualification, the ones that are called are the ones that God works all the good things for. It's placed in this chain between predestination and justification. For those whom he predestined, he called. For those he called, he justified. Um, we have that in here. And predestination speaks to our purpose or the purpose of God. You were predestined for that. It means that you were made for that. You were built for that. You were designed for that. Um, you were predestined for that. And, and uh, God calls us, his purpose is to call us, adopt us into his family, and his further purpose is that the children that are in that family bear the family likeness. They bear the image of a son, Jesus, who is our older brother. Uh, and then he gives them his name, Christian. He works in them uh, through all the things of life. He works in them, the sons and daughters, to look more and more like Jesus. Now, uh, so being conformed into the likeness of Christ is evidence, and being more and more conformed into the likeness of Christ is evidence that he's really called us out of darkness into light. If you say he's called me out of darkness into light and you keep looking like the darkness, probably he hasn't called you out of darkness into light. But if he's called you out of darkness into light and you start looking more and more like Christ, that gives evidence of the fact that uh, he is working his purposes and saving and redeeming you and has brought you into a, a saving relationship with him. Um, this is not saying that God simply says, I will work out all things for my people's good and then let you decide. That wouldn't be kind or loving. We already said that. And to help us understand that a little bit more, uh, God told Adam and Eve, of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. But there's this one tree. What is the tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't want you to eat that. The day you eat that, you shall surely die. And what we think is, man, God's mean. That tree must be really special. And it, no, uh, we need to see that that wasn't a covenant of works. That was a covenant of grace. God was gracious to tell them, don't eat of this. Why? Because the day you will eat of it, what's going to happen? You're going to try to decide what's good for you. And so that's what we try to do. We don't have within us the ability to say what's good for us. And so what we're doing is we're taking on God's, uh, the, the thing that only God can do by saying, well, God, this is the thing that's good for me. Now, he knows what, it's, what it is, and he's working all things toward that good end and holy end and right end. Um, if it were left up to us to decide what's good for us and other people, everything would be screwed up, right? And, and often of this, because we're so selfish, we try to do the things that we think is good for us, and it affects everybody and us negatively. We try to do this, and that wasn't good for me, that wasn't good for me, uh, and all those. So God knows what's good for us, and for those whom he calls and who love him, he works all things for their good. He adopts us into his family, and he starts growing us to look more and more like Jesus. Now, in families, a lot of times you can look at a family, and you can tell their, their family. What are some of the, the reasons and ways you can tell that a family is a family? Give me something. They look alike. Okay. They have the same nose, or hair, or walk, or trait, or maybe it's not just physically, maybe it's the same what, personality, or the same, they like the same things, those kind of things. There's a lot of ways that tell us the interests are the same, their thoughts are the same, their mannerisms are the same. Um, so people who share DNA look alike, right? People who share more DNA, what? They look more alike. So you have twins, they might look a little bit alike, and then you have, what, identical twins that share a lot more DNA, and they really look alike. And it's really funny when you have a uh, uh, twins, one male and one female, and people will ask the question, are they identical? Just the next time they say that, it's like, yes. Just leave it at that. 
Um, so uh, as we share more and more DNA with Christ, meaning the longer we serve him and know him, know his word and know about him there, the more we reflect him, the more we look like him. And, and the more a body reflects the character and nature of Christ, the more they what? Look like each other um, also. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. So we got to work with some of these words. We're not going to do this big, we're not doing the big foreknowledge on predestination sermon, but they're in our text, and the, the word called comes kind of in between some of these. So let's think about for a moment, what is God's foreknowing us? How does that fit into God's calling us to his purpose? Uh, the foreknowledge here has nothing at all to do with God foreknowing what we would do. Nothing. This is not God foreknowing what we would do. This is not God looking out into the hall of time, the quarters of time, and like, oh, I know that Tristan's going to go through that door, but he's not going to go through that one. This is nothing like that. That's not, it's not foreknowing. This foreknowledge is foreknowledge of a person. This is not foreknowledge of what a person does or doesn't do. Pretty important difference. This is God foreknowing a person. In fact, it's quite the opposite of how we often think about it. This is God's knowing us before we do anything. It's his foreknowledge before we do this or before we do that. God knows, meaning he, he sets his heart on his people. He foreknows them, meaning he foreloves them. In Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve um, knew one another and they had a kid. It means that he foreloved them and intimacy. And that's what God does for us. He foreloves us. He sets his heart on us. He sets his love on us from eternity. And he predestines us, his children, uh, to be, first of all, come to him, be called and be brought into his family, and then to start looking like Jesus, look like uh, the image of Jesus. So Paul puts that in another place in scripture. He says the idea of looking more and more like Christ, he says it's having Christ formed in you. It's like, and he prays, I long for Christ to be formed in you. And what he means is I long for you to look more and more like Jesus. Now, how does that happen? How many of you guys have ever done any sculpting of anything? Some of you have sculpted. And, uh, and so in sculpting, at least a couple of people that I've talked to, one in, in Columbia that has a really cool, does a lot of cool sculptures, and he actually does them mostly for, for Greenville, the town of Greenville, and he has, um, in the children's hospital, by the way, out front, he has this huge lion. I don't know if you've been over there, but he did that one. And what he says he does is he starts with this massive block of clay. And he looks at it, and they're like, this is what I'm trying to sculpt. In this case, it was a lion. And I saw this. This was like about the size of that table with that cloth over it. That was the, the clay started like that, but it was a little bit taller. And what he said he would do is he would look at that, and then he would say, this is, I'm, I'm doing And he looked at what he was trying to do, and he would take everything out of the clay that wasn't the lion. And then finally, at the end, it's like, the lion's there, because everything that wasn't the lion is removed. That's how he thought about sculpting. And God does a very similar kind of thing. He, he looks at his children, whom he has called and saved and redeemed, and what he does is starts removing everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And he puts it away, and he causes them to put it away, and at the end, what, what is left? Only things that look like Christ are left. Um, and we could say, Paul prays for that, that he wants us to be presented before the Lord without spot and without blemish. And when he says that he wants us to be presented one day before the Lord without spot or blemish, that means that he wants us to look like Jesus. And it's like, man. 
And then he calls us to work with one another, to long for each other, to be presented before Christ one day, to long to and look like Jesus. And if you're married, that's part of your marriage vows. It's like you're to craft and work and shape the other person that one day they could be presented before the Lord looking more like Jesus than had you not been married to them. So we're called to bear his image, and because of sin, we don't look too much like it, but we've been called to bear it, and we've been, we are being remade for that purpose. And, and God doesn't take away anything from that clay that doesn't need to be taken away. And he doesn't add other pieces of clay that need to be added that doesn't need to be added. It's exactly what we need. Now, I'm going to, another illustration, I'm very thankful for Katie and the rock tumbler. So Katie got a rock tumbler. It was, oh, it was who? I mean, Emma. I didn't know that, and I know who you are. But, but Emma got a rock tumbler last year for Christmas or birthday. So, so last, last Christmas, Emma got a rock tumbler. And I was excited. She actually brought some rocks in a little plastic bag that she was going to tumble before they were tumbled. Or, or Tim showed me when I was at their house, one of the two. And, and, and so what happened is, is Emma put some grit or sand or aggregate. What did you put into the tumbler with the rocks? Sand? Grit. All right. So a lot of grit. Uh, and put it into the tumbler along with the rocks. And, and so, and then she turned it on. She turned the tumbler on. And, and I can imagine if the rocks could speak, they would be like, Emma, turn the tumbler off, right? Get this grit out of here. Put it in bubble bath, right? Like, I don't like this stuff. And uh, because Emma knew the rock's condition before they went in the tumbler, and because Emma knew what was necessary to transform them from their current state into a more beautiful state, she said to the rocks, just wait, right? Trust me on this. I'm working all things together for your good. And when it was done, Emma opened up the tumbler, she removed the grit, and she removed the rocks, and she polished the rocks a little bit more, and they were more beautiful and transformed, and they were shiny and smooth, and their colors were much more brilliant before, after all that than before. Now, if the rocks could speak, they would say, Emma, you knew exactly what you were doing. That was tough to go through. That tumbling, man, that grit, it was awful. And yet, thank you, uh, it turned out for our good. That's what God does for us. And we are often put into his family before we're fit for his family. Does that make sense? Now, in one sense, we're fitted because we trust Jesus, but we're not fit in the sense that we look like his family. He puts us in his family while we're yet sinners, and then his purpose is to conform us to the image of his family over and over so we don't just fit, uh, not put in, but fit in. So God sees our condition. He knows exactly what is necessary for us to look like his family and Jesus. He puts in just the right amount of grit, and he needs every bit of it that he puts in. And then he, he, he tumbles us, and he does it for just the right amount of time. And, uh, and he takes us out, and we look more like Jesus because of it. Now, uh, another aspect that we need to understand is that his purpose is not singular. And here's what I mean. God's not just simply saying, I want a bunch of beautiful stones. That's a lot of times what we're doing when we're tumbling rocks. We get a bunch of beautiful stones. God's purpose is way beyond that. And, and, and he's, he doesn't just say, I want a bunch of beautiful, shining, brilliant stones. He's building and molding and sculpting the stones together uh, on top of one another, and Christ is the chief stone in order to, for that to be the dwelling place of God. 
Where do we see that? It's First Peter is one place, First Peter 2. We don't have time to go there. But so here's the deal. If, if the chisel, let's say this is a rock, you know, if the chisel that's being used on you, sometimes we're like, why? I don't need that. Sometimes the chisel that's being used on you is being used on you for the benefit of another person so that you can fit together with them. And sometimes it's like, whoa, so God chisels us for us, but also God chisels us for others. And I don't know a better illustration from in my life than my daughter. I use it all the time. And I use it all the time because it's the greatest illustration that I have personally. And, you know, God's shaped and molded her to be mostly living at home and mostly living in her bedroom and mostly in bed. And it's like, man, but the way God has chiseled her has caused me to understand that, man, his purposes are good, that he's put in her life exactly what she needs so that she can best glorify, honor, and live for him. And because of that, and as she does that faithfully, I'm moved, and that chisel on her works as a chisel on me in so many ways. Um, And so the scope of God's work and vision goes beyond individual. It goes into building his body, the church, and the bride, and he works all things together for our good, for the good of his people to be built up into uh, a church or a dwelling place of the Lord. Um, So his purpose is our calling and coming to him, um, are, are being consecrated or set apart, not just to be in his family, but to be fitted into his family, to be built up to the dwelling place of the Lord, and uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. And lastly, his purpose is to complete what he starts, to complete us. Um, Paul, for Paul, this being created and made and remade into the image of Christ starts in eternity past with God's foreknowing and predestining, and it goes all the way to the end and that's God, God's glorifying himself. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We're going to hear more about this in, I don't know, a few months when Henry gets there to Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven. Now, if our citizenship was here, then God would need to work things differently for it to be good. For, but our citizenship is in heaven, so things here sometimes don't do good for our citizenship in heaven. But for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, our block of clay state, into conformity with the body of his glory. He's going to chisel us to look like Jesus by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. A little bit earlier in Romans 8, It says that creation is groaning and creation is crying out to be changed. So, and what's interesting is if you study that passage, what is creation groaning and crying out for? It's not just the rocks that Emma tumbled crying out to be more beautiful. It's all of creation is crying out to see those that the Lord has called be called and come to him and restored into his likeness. So all of creation is cheering on the Lord and you to be like, gather them and make them like yourself, Lord. Um, and then, so creation is sick because of the fall, and the passage says that creation is longing to see the children of God transformed into the likeness of God. And we should long for that. Philippians 1.6, verse you might know, it says, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work in you, started chiseling, he's not going to stop until you look like Christ. And that's beautiful. Now, that chisel's going to hit, has to hit in order for you to look like Christ, and it, sometimes it's difficult and hard. It's like the grit in the tumbler. Um, I don't have time to do much of, with this next section, so I want you to take the notes, look at it on your own. 
Romans 1, 22 and 25, and then Romans 3, 23. Both of those places talk about how um, we have the glory of Christ lost, like the glory lost. Well, finally, in Romans 8, 28 through 30, it's all that glory is restored. Our glorification is true. So I want you to like look at those passages, Romans 1, 22 and 25, Romans 3, 23, see how it says that we've lost the glory and then I want you to think about how that glory is restored in the, in the golden chain. That God um, calls us, he justifies us, and he glorifies us. Let me read verse 30. And those whom he predestined, purposed, he called. And those whom he called, made his own, set him at the table and in the family. He also justified, made right with God. And those whom he made right with him, he also glorified. He brought back the glory. And he will certainly and assuredly work all things, every single one of them, the worst of them and the best of them together for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose in order to call them and adopt them into the family. And then he starts the process of fitting them in to make them bear the family resemblance until one day all that's not like Christ is removed and we stand without spot or blemish before the King of Kings. Uh, I was going to end there, but I, I found this poem. And I'm going to read two verses of it. I have, there's three verses in it. If you want the other one, see me after. Actually, it's on there, but we're going to skip it for time's sake. And it's uh, John Campbell Sharp. It's, um, it's a poem that was a song, and it's twixt, and that's not the candy bar, but twixt meaning in between, the, 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 gleams, of, the gleams of joy and the clouds of doubt. Um, let me just read. Twixt gleams of joy and clouds of doubt, our feelings come and go. Our daily state is tossed about in ceaseless ebb and flow. No mood of feeling, form, or thought is constant for the day, but thou, O Lord, thou changest not the same thou art alway. And then the, the last verse. <clears throat> this first sentence of the last verse is why I got there. By purpose of eternal good, let me be sure, but surely know. And this is what God wants. He wants you to be assured of God's good purposes, and he's going to carry them out on your behalf. All things will work together for it. By purpose of eternal good, let me but surely know, on this I'll lean, and we said on this will be anchored, let changing mood and fleeing come or go. Glad when thy sunshine fills my soul, nor sad when clouds are cast, since thou within thy sure control of love dost hold me fast. Now, what a ma magnificent promise. And imagine if it were true. It would change everything. And it is true. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for such a precious and magnificent promise. May it hold us fast. And may it conform us to the image of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I just haven't got much sleep, that's all. Um, are we singing the song after, right? Okay. Uh, the scriptures say that, for I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's 
given for you. In the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the foundation of how it can really be true that God works all things together for good starts with the death of Christ. It's only through his death that we can be delivered out of darkness and helplessness into the life of Christ and be restored and, and forgiven. Um, but the table is also the greatest proof of anything that God can cause and does cause what? All things to work together for good. The greatest evil in all the world is not something that you experience or that I experience. It's something that only Christ experienced. The death of the perfect son is, first of all, the, the worst and most horrible thing. can't say the word. And yet God the Father took that and he caused the good of you being in him and my being in him to come about through the death of the son, through the hands of evil, wicked men. And so the table is a picture of God certainly can and certainly does do all things for our good. And the good that he does them for, it's not just a picture that he can do it, it's also a picture of what he's creating us to do, to partake of him and to look like Jesus. And the way we do that is to partake of him, to know him. Um, this is a picture of, of a general call. This picture of the table is calling all people that are here that don't know him to come. And yet my prayer is that it will be today an effectual call for those who don't know him that God would come and he would come after you into the creek and then he would put you on his shoulders and take you home and wash you up and cleanse you up by his, clean you up by his blood and set you at his table that you would be his through his grace alone. So uh, this table is not a table of living hope. It's a table of the Lord Jesus. And he calls all to come. If, if you've been effectually called, big word, Meaning that if he's called you and made you a part of his family through Jesus and you're trusting on the blood of Christ alone, this table is for you and I ask you to come. If you haven't been called that way, then take this as a general calling to come to Jesus. Turn away from your sins and the darkness and the helplessness and, and, and come to Jesus. And if you have and if you will, come and take. But if you haven't, this table is not for you yet. But we pray that it would be soon. So would you come to the table? I guess we need to do a little bit more instruction. We'll let the smaller group go first, followed by Molly. You'll come right after them and all the rest of you. And we'll go around and come to the backside and go back to your seats. And we'll do the same thing that we usually do in holding the elements and partaking of them together. We have wine, W uh, juice, some gluten-free options, and then some bread. And that, those are ordinary elements, but today they've been set apart for an extraordinary purpose of us feasting on the Lord Jesus to taste and see that he is good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this table that you spread, a table that, that, that shows that certainly you can um, do all things, even the worst things, and you will and you do all things, the worst of them, for your good purposes. And we thank you for the purpose of which this mill is. This mill is to show us the purpose of God to redeem and save the lost, to draw us to yourself, to put us in your family, to put us at your table and then, Father, to, to feed us the food until we look like Jesus. And Father, I pray today that we would long for that, to look like Jesus, and that we would be willing to be chiseled in any way that you see fit, that we would look more and more like Christ, that the things that, don't, that, that are not like Christ would be taken away from us, that we look and the things that are left in us would be looking like Christ. Father, I pray also that we would long 
for the body of Christ to, to, to look like Jesus, so much that we're willing to be chiseled for others that are here. That the body of Christ, that living hope, would look more like Christ as a church. Would you work in that for us? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you come?
great.